transfer PG on the map for Wales. He's flirted with the wrestler Adrian Street, and he'll make a song about anything. From Wirral, Merseyside, UK, meet and greet Don Woods. So a very good morning. Welcome to everybody. It's uh, bright. It's sunny uh, up in the mountains here. We've got sunshine. We don't have a lot of wind like we did have the last couple of days. We've had dreadful downpours. So we've had troubles with just about everything. So let's go across to Wirral Merseyside and see whether or not the same weather is repeated across on Wirral. Morning, Don. Morning, Vince. Yes, it's windy and cold, and I think it's trying to rain. So it's not good this morning. But, you know, it's better than no weather at all. So that's the way I look at it. OK, now, what's all this uh, Martin Bashir stuff that's been going on? Oh, it's, it's endless. On the, well, it's, it's rounding off on the news now. At last, we've had it for about a week. This Martin Bashir, uh, with his interview with Lady Diana, 25 years ago, you know, 25 years ago, which says it all, really. Everyone jumping in with their theories about the damage it has done and the way he misled the world with his false evidence. Personally, I couldn't care less, to be honest with you. You know, Bashir is no worse than the rest of these Czech presenters like Parkinson, Oprah Winfrey, Jonathan Ross, Graham Norton, and worst of all, Piers Morgan with his celebrity interviews with those pregnant pauses, hoping they'll break down crying. You know, it's rub, it's garbage. Anyone can sit in a chair and read questions from a notepad. Let's move on from the problems of the rich and famous. There are far more important problems in the world. Thank you. Good night. (laughs) <laughs> OK, well, look, the first thing is I feel a song coming in there. Just as you were reading out those names of people that uh, you don't particularly subscribe to their point of view uh, or see the world in the same way. I don't either, by the way. Um, that's a great song. I can just see that coming up. And um, it does have a ring, doesn't it? Uh, Parkinson, Oprah Winfrey, Jonathan Ross, Graham Norton. Yeah, it's one of your songs, Defo. As the, thing f- is, the thing is with it. You know, they're all jumping in, and and it's it's responsible for their death. You know, Bashir has has put false information up to get the interview. That's it. You know, it's over. It's twenty five years ago. I mean, Lady Di was was with another bloke. You know, over anyway. It's all been said. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of it all. Really. You know, get on with get on with proper news. Things that's interesting. Well, I was. Uh probably feeling the same but i do actually think that to have high profile interviews when we know now that somebody has lied to get into the interview situation i mean look i was a princess die fan so i've got to sort of nail my colors to the mast and say i do think that it was all set up because we were in france we traveled through the same underpants past before and after um, the event so I do feel that the whole thing was definitely more than just an accident um, and I think you also told me that you've come round to looking at information that we all have uh, felt 
brought uh, Jimmy Savile into disrepute. And, um, you know, like you, I feel sometimes that we never got his side of the story, even though, you, you know, they do say there's no smoke without fire, things like that. But you did have a spin on that, didn't you? Louis Theroux interviewed Savile uh, when it, during his, when he was getting suspected. And he went to his house, interviewed him, and Savile was like, Savile's a strange guy. You know, we all know he's strange, he's, he's, he's odd. But he asked him about, you know, this, this, this thing he was getting accused of, and he denied it completely. Anyway, when he died, everybody hung, hung him out to dry, totally. The fellow couldn't, re couldn't respond. You know, he couldn't defend himself. He hung him out to dry. He's a paedophile, blah, blah, blah. So everybody believes this. And again, I think the theory is somebody didn't like him and they hung him out to dry. Now, Louis Theroux went back uh, and did to, to, to study what he'd interviewed Jimmy Savile to ask people, obviously to try and um, get himself off the hook, <laughs> Louis Theroux, after, after the interview. So he, he went around and he couldn't find any evidence at all. Uh, and he went to the hospital uh, where Jimmy Savile was supposed to be interfering with patients and interviewed the head nurse there. And the head nurse just told him, she said, it's ridiculous what they've said. She said, he, he bought this hospital for £9 million. He paid for it. And he said all he did, he used to come in and sit in his office a couple of days a week and he said now and again he'd help with pushing the patients around. She said there was nothing like that whatsoever went on. You know, so th this is it. And everybody's lambing. You see, when you think back, you know, nobody died. Nobody got injured. And, I, and I mean, they're all coming forward all the time. You know, the, you get there's a, a thing on Facebook. This woman has now... Uh, become a, ref a football referee in the first division and someone put she'll be calling a foul for something that happened five years ago which is about right you know I mean th this is the thing it, you know it, there's no evidence it, they should have just left it as it was and people oh but I, I this thing with Louis Theroux when it finished I thought well he's found nothing you know we went yeah. searching really searching for evidence and found nothing. Well, you I must know, so admit... It does, it does make you think. It does make you think. Yeah, I, I'd never heard anything bad about Jimmy Savile. I have to say, I found that part of it strange because I was in the, um, you know, I was in the sort of situation where I should have, if anything was going to surface at the time, I should have heard something. And yet I never heard a thing. I did like all the charity work he did and the hospital fundraising and the marathons and things like that like you say he was a very strange person and obviously if paedophilia was involved or any of these things that we have been told happened if that was the case and people have made their minds up about it then obviously um yes punishment um couldn't be administered because it came later but yes it was a bad thing if and uh, we know conclusively that it happened. But like you say, it didn't seem to be totally proven to me. And, um, you know, I was a bit saddened because he was one of these people when I was starting out as a DJ. I did see 
how much good he seemed to be doing and, you know, all the Jimmy, Jim will fix it and all that sort of stuff was always, um, yeah, it, it was the good stuff that came out. And it's almost like it's always the, the chance to try and knock somebody down once they've done something good in the UK. That's the way it seems to always be. You see, negative news is news. Positive news isn't. Yeah, no one's interested in positive news. They love to dig the dirt. And, you know, I, I wasn't a fan of Jimmy Savile at all. I couldn't stand him. But, I mean, you know, to, to lambaste him after he died, I thought it, it was disgraceful. You know, and the, and the way people go on, they're still going on about him. Oh, Jim. You see, but we they don't know. Give us the evidence. Let, let people come forward who you can believe instead of people coming forward trying to make a few bob from the papers, which is what happens. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, he was a paedophile, he attacked me, you know, right, give me 10 grand for my story. You know, this is what's happening. You know, they must think we're stupid. Anyway, there you go. OK, well, next we go to uh, the nanny state. So <laughs> it's not nice to sort of be nannied every now and again, but uh, you've got another thing that you would like to talk about. The nanny state sheep who are desperate to go abroad on holiday and because they are told... They're told they could possibly be allowed to go. You know, they all rush out and book a dream holiday. You know, they're, they're told that, it, you know, you've got to be careful. There's a pandemic. But no, no, they all rush out, book the holiday, only to find that there are further outbreaks of the pandemic. So they can't go. You know, <laughs> now, oh, they're all complaining now because they've lost their money. One woman was on, she's lost a thousand pounds. I mean, common sense should tell them they're gambling with life and death. It's not like catching a cold when you're on a plane. You know, if you catch this, you could die. You know, but then they're going to forgot. They don't have any common sense, do they? You know, this is, these are the buffoons who leave litter everywhere because it doesn't enter their heads to take it home. You know, people are saying, oh, you shouldn't leave. It's disgraceful, but they don't know any different because they, they can't think to pick it up and take it home. It, it's beyond them. You know, so they just leave it laying around on the shore or whatever, they, whatever they're camping. You know, you can't legislate for idiots. You see, that that's the trouble. That's the that's the problem. Yeah, I I really hate litter louts. So I've I've always uh, yeah, yeah, you know, just... uh, sometimes I'm tempted to pick things up and then I'm thinking maybe I shouldn't because based around on what we're being told all the time now, you know, there's sort of uh, deadly germs on everything. But in the yeah. past, I would have always picked up a can or something if I saw it hanging around. As far as the travelling thing goes, I really don't understand it because, you know, we had this situation where I'm here being locked down in my house and yet across the road we've got somebody who can just drive from Germany to come all the way down and um, spend a couple of weeks' holiday in Spain. And then... This morning, I noticed they're talking about the Olympic Games. So the news comes on. This is the BBC News. The Olympic Games could go ahead without any Americans as the variants are beginning to, you know, look bad in Japan. However, however, the, the American teams and the disability uh, games will all be allowed to travel. Now, I don't understand that one. Because if the if the bugs the bugs not going to be flying around going uh, oh there's the team we can't give them the bug so basically everybody else can't travel but we are, are okay with the American team 
it's just conflicting news all the time. That's what gets me. And, you know, we've got this thing about what colour your country is. If it's sort of painted orange on a map, people can now travel to Spain. You know, if it turned out to be red, well, you can't travel to that country. I mean, you know, it's almost like everything's now gone down to the lowest common denominator. Oh, it's got to be... We can't just... You can't travel to Spain. You've got to have a big orange picture of Spain or, you know, uh, whatever the country is. It's got to be a colour now so that um, if people couldn't look at a map in the past now, they'll know where Spain is because it's orange. Don't understand that. Well, you see, people have got to justify their jobs. You know, when they're getting about 50 or 60 grand a year, they have to think, what can I do? I know we'll have colours. That'll be my idea. We can have like a, 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 a light system, red, amber and green. See, this is it. It's like you go to a meeting and these back benches, because they want to be heard, you know, they, they get up and say something. They've got to justify why they're there. And that's, that's, that's a lot of what a lot of this is about. You know, the, the Americans... I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they send John Wayne over there to lead them. You know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, I, I don't get it at all. The Olymp- I mean, there's a pandemic going on. Let's get rid of the pandemic. Let, let's get rid of it. You know, let, let, if, if people behave themselves, it will go away. If everybody gets the jab, it will go away or whatever. It's, it's happening here where, you know, there's... It's really worked here. It's incredible. There's very few deaths, you know, now. And But, again, can you believe the figures? You know, Well, that, I don't think you can. I mean, I noticed suddenly the variants are here, there and everywhere. It's almost like uh, the, um, you know, springing new variants out of every possible orifice, you know. And then, basically, yeah. um, then you look at the, the numbers that are dying are so low that they can't, Go down that route to, route to scare you. It's almost like, what can we scare you with? Oh, look, there's a new uh, hybrid variant coming out now um, from Mongolia. And, you know, it's almost, it, you, well, I'm sorry, but I've read too much to, to not understand that this is orchestrated. What we all need yeah. is a good bike ride, Don. That's what we need, <laughs> a good bike ride. Oh. Do you know, there's not, not a lot of things annoy me. You know, I just live. I just live with idiots. You know, I, I just live with the fact that we're surrounded by people with no imagination. They have to wait to be told what they can do. You know, and it's it's. I don't get them at all. There's a place called Morton Shaw here, as you will you will know. You live near there, and there's a car park, and it's a, it's a, it's a beach which goes along the the coast of Wirral. Now, if you go down there on a very hot, sunny day, there's 50 yards of beach that they're all crammed on. Either side of them, there's there's five miles of empty beach with nice sand. You know, it's nice now. It's that, but they're all crammed together. You know, it's like, and you can. What you need is a sheepdog to herd them all up and take them back to the car park. But you see, I go on my bike. Uh, I try and avoid people. I go to places that are no where there isn't anybody. And at Seacombe Ferry, where uh, is, is goes the ferry across the Mersey, actually, it's where, where the song was written from. Yeah. Um, I go down there, and and because the the ferry boats aren't aren't, aren't on much at the moment, 
the car park's empty, generally empty. You get about two or three cars in there for people that want to walk along the prom. So I go down there with my bike in the back of my car. Last week, I parked right in the middle of this car park, which contained about half a dozen cars around the edge. That's all. You know, so I park right in the middle where there's nobody at all. When I return, there's a car parked right behind me, so close. It had to, I had to move forward to get me bike in. Right. Now, this has happened to me on several occasions, and friends I talk to say they've had the same experience. What is it with these plankers? You know, there are 120 empty spaces in the car park, and they choose the one right behind me. Why? I'm in the middle. You know, go anywhere else. But there is no hope. You see, as I said uh, a few weeks ago, I went to Hollyhead in early morning, and there's, there's a, an industrial estate there with all shops and everything. The car park is massive. There must be, a, must be a, at least 500 spaces. I was the only one. I drove in. It was early morning. I drove in, parked up. Before I could get out of my car, another car comes in, parked right next to me, so close, the fellow couldn't get out. And <laughs> I, I, I just looked at him, and, he's trying, and he said, I said, have you got enough room there, mate? And he says, hey, 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 yeah, a, a bit close. I? I said, well, I'll tell you what, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make it a bit easier. I'll go and park in one of the other thousand empty spaces. You know, what is it with them? Why did they, and it's all the time. You know, this has happened to me in this car park three times. And exactly the same. They don't park next to me. They park right behind me. There's, there's like a double, double lanes. You know, you, you can park in. I mean, what is it? It's this sort of sheep mentality. I'll be safe. A, a psychologist would give you a very good answer. Probably, you know, you, you're probably being stalked <laughs> by cyclists, <laughs> and with variants of the cyclist. Um, it, we have a we have a strange phenomenon here, where we have people that turn up at a car park, and they get out at the car in a car park, and they set up a little table and chairs, and they sit down and have a little tea party uh, in the car park, and I see it time and time again, and I'm thinking, why? Um, and, and you know, whenever you ask somebody, you, you you're looking for directions, so you stop your car. Uh, could you tell us? And the minute you start speaking, they say, we're not from round here or they're not, they don't speak English <laughs> or something. But I'll tell you about my sister, Rita, who flew in from France, went down to Cornwall to visit our family. We've all gone down to a nice, quiet beach. Like you say, there was miles and miles of no other person, golden sands. So um, I'd gone off for a little jog and I come back and my sister... My wife, Anne, and my kids, they're all having this argument with this fella. And apparently he'd come along with his towel and he'd sat right next to them. <laughs> so, of course, my, six, my sister was taking exception about that. She said, look, you know, um, she, she said, you've got the whole of the world, but you've come and sat right next to us. We don't want you. <laughs> and then we, we went with my family and uh, the young boys and my wife and I, we went down to the south of France. So we go to a secluded part of a beach, we sit down, we've got our sandwiches out, we're ready to start our meal, and two um, young men came down. You can probably guess what their persuasion was. They stopped <laughs> about two feet from us, stripped off, and then the next thing is, one of them's bent over, and it was like me looking down the Mersey Tunnel. 
<laughs> and as I said to him, I said, do you mind? I'm trying to eat me food here. Can you just, you know. But it's very different when he don't, doesn't speak uh, or didn't seem to want to speak English. And I didn't maybe speak French the way I really wanted to tell him. But uh, there we that's go. The best, that's the best laugh you will have all day, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, then look. Let's get out of this because we need something to lighten up now. The Eurovision Song Contest. What a brilliant event that is. <laughs> I love it. I love <laughs> it. I, I love it every year. They showed the bit. Funnily enough, last night they showed the bits where the fella jumped on the stage and joined in with the band. And <laughs> <laughs> he's bopping around with the band. And these two heavies come up and frog march him off sideways. Just great stuff, you know. But, um... I watched the Eurovision last Saturday night, uh, and as I exp- as I predicted, actually, on your podcast a few months ago, when I first heard our entry, I first heard it, nil, I said it, it's a nil pois. I, I, I remember it, you saying it, Don. Hey? I remember exactly what you yeah. said. Yeah, I said, it's nil pois from me, and, it, and that was it. And the, you know, now there's a surprise. We got nil pois. I was right. The chap who wrote and sang it seems like a nice bloke. But the song, it was just bog standard, you know. It's nothing special. It's pretty bad, actually. And I think it's time to call it a day on our input to this spectacle unless we get someone who knows what a suitable song is, a suitable song for the Eurovision. You know, we need a song that is so good, so good, it can handle the political side of the voting and cause a major controversy if it doesn't win. That's what you need. It's like, you know, in the day the Beatles going on and not winning. It would cause a massive controversy. It'd be really, it'd be, that, that, that's what you need, a really good argument and everyone moaning. And, and this, but we don't have that, you know. We need a song that's that, that's that good. And, you know, to be the only country to get no points says it all. The efforts other countries put in with the pyrotechnics and it was fantastic you know and we have this fella comes on with a leather jacket and he's overweight uh with a leather jacket fastened to try and dis- dis- disguise his gut you know and a couple of uh, strange blokes dancing behind him it was you know it's nothing you know there's no effort there so we got nil <laughs> no. and uh, what we need you see is a gimmick a good gimmick like they have um uh, two good-looking girls or, or, or more, uh, like ABBA, for example, New Seekers, Bucks Fizz, The Brotherhood of Man, as I say, with their silly dance, they've got that gimmick. You know, it, it sounds sexist, and I apologise, but in reality, blokes look at good-looking girls in the same way they have done since time began. Sorry, ladies, but that's how it is. I did enjoy the show, however, despite falling asleep halfway through. It, I thought it was... I thought it was the effort put in by some of the countries is fantastic. And we just looked silly, you know, and apparently we put money up for it. And, uh, you know, that's why we get through. We don't have to qualify. We're all, we got automatic entry into it because we put money up, as indeed did Germany. And, and the countries that put the money in for it all came bottom of the list. So there is another answer there you yeah know, isn't, isn't the just um i've got to say <laughs> that um i we had this power cut so i was spurred the whole thing but i do like to watch it i'm gonna say like you i do take an interest but 
I saw the uh, interview and the, the clip of what these Italians did. And quite honestly, there's a German word which I think I will use. It's crap. <laughs> it was awful. I mean, that is so. the song was so instantly forgettable that it wasn't even worthy of really being called a song. And then, of course, you know, they had their actions and we, we were enthralled watching the BBC interview yesterday morning when, of course, they eventually got round to asking him about why he was uh, seen to be leaning forward and uh, sniffing what seemed to be cocaine, which he has now, by the way, passed a negative test. So, yeah, you know, apparently. Yeah. But uh, his up, answer yeah. was that somebody had dropped a glass and it had smashed on the table, which is why he leant down to sniff whatever it was. Now, for my money, if anybody smashes a glass on a table, the last thing I want to be doing is putting my face anywhere <laughs> near broken glass. So, A, uh, either I'm off my, my head again, or something obviously stupid was going down. Whichever way, I mean, it was nonsense the BBC interview was nonsense. And I said to my missus, what the hell are we watching all this rubbish on TV? I didn't actually say rubbish. I've got to be honest. Um, I felt a little bit more strongly about it. <laughs> now, Don, to get away from this nonsense, we're going now to quality because we're starting a new feature. And we're talking about a gentleman who I did meet and he was a very well-respected guy who I didn't know enough about, and you got to know a lot more later on. I met him in the very early days without knowing that he'd actually started Radio Classabridge, which is where I started my radio broadcasting, and all my DJ stuff sort of kicked on after I'd been uh, uh, given my own show for the hospital radio at Radio Classabridge. So, um, if you'd like to tell us about Monty Lister, and uh, I'm sure you've got some anecdotes, which is what we're doing each time we talk about him now. So, off you go, Don, and um, tell us about when you worked for Radio Merseyside with him. Yeah, Monty Lister, he was a DJ, uh, a presenter on Radio Merseyside. He did a Sunday morning programme for years, and... I knew him for years, long before uh, I, I ended up working with him for a while on, on the radio. But I knew him for years. It all started very early on when I wrote a jingle for his programme. His father was a, a big fan of his. He used to listen to him. And I wrote a jingle for him and uh, I sent it to him. And I met him on a, uh, a talent contest at, at a local theatre. I was one of the judges and so was he. And we met and, and we, we got to know each other. And he used to live uh, uh, in a place called Spittle, which is, which is on Wirral. And when I was working, on my lunch hours, he used to pop round and see him and have a coffee. So I got to know him really well. And he, he was a fascinating guy. And I, I, I was a friend for him for years and years, and literally 10 or 15 years. And then he had a lad on his programme uh, a pres a f who helped him out on his programme, a fellow called Andrew Moore. And he, he Monty, got, he, he was interested in flying, wanted to be a, f a pilot. And Monty got him a flight with the Red Arrows in the back of one of the planes. He organised that. He, he had a lot of contacts, Monty. And uh, 
he was a great fella, you know, and he, he, he'd interviewed oh, 400, 500 celebs from Bing Crosby, Bob Hope. He was the first person to interview the Beatles on tape, you know, and Roy Orbison and oh, hundreds, hundreds of people. And he was great and very well respected. And he, he asked me one day, you know, he, he said, Andrew has got a job as an airline pilot now. So I, I need someone to help us out on the programme. Can you do it? And I said, oh, no. I said, I, I said I'm out playing. I, I've got a, I used to play at this um, residency I had uh, locally in a, in a restaurant. And I said, no, I'm out Friday, every Friday, every Saturday. I said, you know, I don't want to be getting up early Sunday morning, you know, if that's okay with you. He said, it'll only be for two weeks. I was there for five years you know, but having said that, it was great. And what what he of the many things we we, we did, and I mean many people we interviewed. One of the things, what well, there was a local firm decided to make day trips around Europe and beyond. Day trips, you know, you go there and you come back on the same day. And uh, Monty got into this. And, and he because, as I say, he was very persuasive, you know. And he, he, he said to this guy, uh, right, I'll, I'll, we'll do a half an hour travelogue on the day trip if you give us, give us tickets to go, you know, me and him. And so this is what he did. And we went on loads of these all over, all over Europe. And the one I'll talk about today was Marrakesh. We went to Marrakesh. And came back in a day, and what happened? What how we did it? We we'd start off at Speak Airport about six in the morning, and about up past nine, ten o'clock, we were in Marrakesh, you know. And the particular one we did, we, we we went there, and when we arrived, you get off the plane onto a coach, go into the Marrakesh, and there's a place called the Souks, which is a massive market, massive, and it's so big. You need a guide to go in in case, because you can go in and actually get lost. It's it's like a maze, and you've got to imagine these like aisles with pots and pans hanging over the top of them, and thousands of these stalls selling all sorts of stuff. Added to that, you've got traffic going through. You've got like a horse and cart will go through. Excuse me, excuse me, and they come through, and these fellas with fezzes, but incredible people and. When we got there, it was bucketing down, rain and freezing cold, blowing a bit, going. And, and this fella kept thanking us, oh, thank you, thank you for bringing this weather. This is what we need to cool down. <laughs> and half, half the coach had flowery shirts and shorts on. <laughs> freezing. It was great. And then off we go. And we, we did a tour of the souks. And you're walking along, and there's a fellow walking alongside you all the time, trying to sell you stuff, you know. <laughs> you want to buy this? You want to buy beads? And I'm saying, no, you know. And one fellow said to me, do you want to buy a belt? And I said, you know, how much? He said, five pounds. So I said, for how many? <laughs> one, one. And his hands go on his head. I've got a family to feed. <laughs> so I said, no. But they were great. Like They were, they were lighthearted. Anyway, I went to this uh, stall. This will make you laugh. And there's a guy behind the stall, and he's all over me, you know. 
And I said, how much are those camels there, those little wooden camels? Because I always like to buy a souvenir. I'm very boring with my souvenirs, you know, I buy the most boring souvenir. Well, I said, how much is that camel? He says, to you, only to you, a pound. So I said, right. So I put a pound on the counter. He said, no, I can only accept paper money. <laughs> so I said, well, if I give you five pounds, how am I going to get me change? He says, you must buy five camels. <laughs> so I said, I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, how much is the big camel? He said, they're five pounds to you. I said, I thought they might be. <clears throat> I said, so I'll have a big camel and a little camel for five pounds. How's that sound? Oh, hands on his head. Oh, I've got a family to feed. Oh, no. Oh, anyway, when he eventually takes his hands off his head, he says, he, he says, OK, I'll do it. I've got these camels and he's following me down the aisle. Tell your friends, tell all your friends what a great bargain you've got. Honest, I just love the guy. He was great. And then we went to see these carpets, um, fellas selling carpets. It was part of the tour. And he's throwing these carpets down, telling us, like, this one's a thousand pounds. I mean, I don't know how he expected to sell any. You know, we were on a coach. And we had to get back to Liverpool. I don't know where he thought we were going to put the carpets on top of the plane, probably. But anyway, we did that. But the classic was, when, when the, the tour was over, I, I loved every minute. It was incredible. We got back to uh, the coach. And, and where the coach was parked, I looked up the, up the road and I said to Monty, look at that. And there was a roundabout with a bobby in the middle. And he was waving his arms, directing the traffic none of which was moving. There's about four or five roads coming down to this roundabout. And it was solid. And no two cars were facing the same way. It was like total gridlock on all these roads. And this Bobby's with his whistle, you know, really going town, waving. And nothing was moving. And, it, and I mean, it must still be like that now because they couldn't have cleared it. It was solid. And there, there were guys with their long... Yashmaks on or whatever and fezzes climbing over car bonnets to get over the road <laughs> it was just hysterical and I thought you know and you think this is going on now a totally different world but fascinating you know and it was great to go there and come back because I can say I've been to Marrakesh even though it was only for a day amazing and, loads of these. and, and as I say over the weeks I'll, I'll tell you I've got an anecdote about everyone some of them were incredible you know it, it sounds really very similar to um, some mm. of our local markets actually because uh, there's a lot of the Arab world in this part of Spain and uh, there's one particular guy and we always like to take our visitors to to him because basically you only have to ask him for the price of a carpet and you're there for half an hour and it, he'll be running up the road with this roll of carpet after you, you know, and the number of people that have actually bought the carpets, uh, you know, I would say 50% hit rate. He does very well, you know. Well, well, Monty was walking along with me, and there's a fella selling him something. He had, like, beads round his neck and a fez on. And I said to this bloke, he doesn't want anything else, you know, because Monty, Monty just sort of goes along with it all. It was, I mean, they're great, you know, great people, so different to, to, to other people, but they're great. They're all, it's light-hearted. They're not sort of nasty people, yeah. you know, and, and they're laughing along with you, you know. I just loved it. Marrakesh, incredible. And the police, yeah. by the way, are, the police sometimes are very similar to the way you were directing the traffic there because 
I mean, uh, I've actually seen coppers smoking on duty. So, like, you know, they'll be dra- directing the yeah. traffic. They've yeah. got a fag in the mouth, and then they'll, you know, blow the whistle. And virtually any time you hear ferocious whistle blowing, you know there'll be a pile-up, and there'll be a policeman in there, and he's causing all the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Don, you were going to tell me something also about uh, when you got back to Liverpool Airport. Do you remember what, what that was all oh, about? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um when we got back to the airport, I was I was Monty's sound man. I, I carried the tape recorder around and and he'd describe what we were doing for the travelogue, you know. And, and he'd interview people when we were, when we were there. And he'd put this. He'd make a half hour travelogue. He'd edit a half hour travelogue to put on his program, which he did, you know, each time we went away. And he said, when we get to Speak Airport, we'll. Uh, we'll record the plane taking off so I can add that to the start of the travelogue as if we're leaving. Yeah. So we stood on the, we stood on the, uh, the runway <laughs> about this about half past 10 at night waiting for the plane to take off. When it took off, I recorded the plane, off it goes. And then we packed the gear away and then we just walked back through the offices People are saying, no, yeah, that's the way out over there. Nobody asked us for a passport. Nobody asked us for anything. And I was carrying this big tape recorder around my neck. I said, it could have been a bomb. You know, just shows you how times have changed. Doesn't you know, it just? just walk straight through, straight through. And, and, and how do we, where, where do we get out? Oh, you go down there, mate, down there. Okay, out and we walked out into the car park, got in the car. Nothing was checked, nothing at all. And in those days, you know, where that was that was part of the course. But how times have changed, you know. Absolutely. And as you're talking, I feel quite saddened by the fact that I didn't get to know Monty Lister as well as you did, because I remember when I'd be about twenty and I was just um, a young Dan grade uh, going to Port Sunlight Boys Club, and I was introduced to this guy. Uh, at the time that um, I was giving judo classes to the the uh, boys club and also um, I would have been on Radio Merseyside and I was doing a programme called Tracy's Travels, which was only local stuff. I mean, I had no no knowledge that this guy was so famous. Nobody had told me. And of course, I found out in later years, mainly through you, I might add, um, that this guy who I'd met at the boys club, who seemed to have young lads working on the radio with him, had been the guy that had started Radio Clatterbridge. And, of course, um, my programme would have been on just early 70s. Uh, and, really, he probably would have thought, I should be doing that programme, not you, mate. Uh, you know, because, obviously, he was a man with uh, a lot more, um, certainly, talent and probably... Um, education for that sort of thing at the time because he was about 95 I think when he died and so he'd be quite a bit older than us but it was just that uh, as you've been telling me I've been thinking I hope he didn't really see me as anything other than somebody who liked doing radio like he did because um, you know it would never have been my intention to not help somebody who obviously was was a man of quality yeah I mean, he was a he was he was a strange guy. He was hard to get to know, but he was very generous. He, you know, as I say, he got 
this lad a flight with the red arrows, which is, you know, who can get you that? And and stuff, it, he, he'd have a word with somebody, you know, and because he was on the... But he was doing travel programmes when he was on Clatterbridge. He's been all over the world, everywhere. I was watching... Um, Julia Bradbury last night. That's a great program. Julia Bradbury in Australia. Have you yeah. seen it? Yes. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And she's in Alice Springs. And I remember Monty telling me that he went to Alice Springs on one of his travels. And he went into this house and there was a photograph on the wall of a, 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 a guy, a Liverpool football player, you know, <laughs> the middle of Australia. And, you know, he's been everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Well, again, just... Just as you say that, you see, I had a very, very strange experience. I was taking a, a telegraph, uh, sorry, a, a, a telescope uh, to somebody in a place called Miramura, and we decided to go on the train. So there was Anne and myself going down by train from Sydney to Miramura, and um, the train was diverted, and I was actually wearing my Liverpool sports jacket, you know, with Liverpool Football Club on on the uh, yeah, the back. Yeah. And there was a guy directing traffic with, you know, those sticks that they direct the traffic. And he was quite mm. away from us. Anyway, he stopped all the traffic and he comes over to me. He says, I'm a Liverpool fan as well. And um, <laughs> he, he was actually prepared to buy me jacket. And I couldn't believe that here I was in the middle of Australia with a guy telling me that he was a Liverpool fan. It was really, really quite unreal. And as you said that, I thought, blimey. Another coincidence, you know. I just wish I'd got to know Monty a, a little bit best. Yeah, yeah. You know, I liked him. He was great. You know, he, he was. <laughs> he had no sense of humour at all, really. <laughs> you know, but uh, maybe that I, was I, why, I, Don. Maybe that was the difference because I was a little yeah. bit ridiculously off the wall when I was younger. You know, yeah. and, and I never meant any harm to anybody. Never would do. But no, no, maybe I don't think he think that way. To be honest, yeah. he was always thinking of something else. When you when you're talking to him, he's thinking of something else. You know, I just take the Mickey out of him all the time, and uh, and it, it, especially when I'm on these travelogues, it was great. But talking of coincidences, the great one of the greatest coincidences of my life was I went to Finland with the band. We got a band together and did a gig in Finland. And it, and it was about 2001. And I said to my, I was doing this program then. I said, I won't be helping you out Sunday because I've got this gig in Finland. And we're going over there on the Friday and we're, we're having Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'm coming back Monday. So you'll have to sort yourself out on Sunday. So I go to Finland, do this gig. And the next day, this guy... We're, in, we're right up in, in, in the north north of Finland in the Arctic Circle, a place called Hankus Salmi. And uh, we did the, did the gig. And next day, this fella said, oh, it was great last night. I've got a restaurant. You must come to my restaurant in the afternoon of the four of you and, and, and be my guest. So we all got in his car, you know, and uh, I'd, I'd had a few beers by then. It was about two o'clock in the afternoon. And we got in his car. And he said, this is the sort of music we like. And it was a rock and roll CD. He puts it on. And the first track he put on was Monty Lister interviewing Bill Haley. And I thought, you know, I said to the, Mike, the bass player, I said, are you, are you winding me up? He said, no, it's his CD. And wow. I, he said, you know this man? I said, know him. I said, if I wasn't here now in the middle of the Arctic Circle, I'd be on his programme at this point in time. How, you know, it was incredible. And, and he said, 
Oh, and I said, I'll tell you, when I got back, I told Monty and I said, I, I said to this guy, I'll send you a, fo a signed photograph of Monty Lister. And he says, yeah, I'll put it up in my restaurant. And as far as I know, it's still there. That's amazing. Yeah. I, it, it convinces well, the me. Chance, the chances of that. Well, it convinces you know, me that things are meant to be done. I, you know, I hear of things like this and I've certain stories myself that um, endorse exactly what I've just said. I believe it was meant to be. Yeah, you you wrote jingles for him, didn't you? Yeah, I wrote jingles. For, I wrote about twenty-two jingles for his program. He had different styles of his program. Like keep on. If someone was ill, there was the jingle keep on getting better. That was one of his phrases. Keep on getting better. And I did that jingle, and I did all sorts of jingles for him. And for his travelogue, this is before I was working with him on the radio. I used to do the jingles and take him round to his house. And they used to play them. Because what, what I did I, with my studio is to get new gear. And I used to try out the new gear with the jingle because it's only like 30 seconds long. So I could try out this new gear, new keyboards and stuff. You know? so, and I, I did this song about his, his world travels. And um, in fact, I, I, I've sent it you now. If, 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 this, is, this is this week's song, if you like. And it's all the places he's been. And I tried to list them all in about 30 seconds. And he was made up of this, you know. And he used to play it for the travelogues we did. That would go on. Then the travelogue would come on. It was like a half-hour thing on his programme, you know. He's been to Turkey, Yugoslavia, Bermuda and Bahrain. Austria, Bulgaria, Brazil and sunny Spain. United Arab Emirates, New Zealand and Kuwait. They even stopped the QE2 for him when he was late. He's been to France, Czechoslovakia, Hong Kong and that's not all. Israel, Sweden, Mexico, and China's famous wall. Norway, Denmark, Holland, and across the USA. Around the British Isles and to Morocco in a day. He's been to Lapa, Fiji, Finland, Cyprus, India, Japan. Canada, Gibraltar, Belgium, and Uzbekistan. The USSR, Portugal, Andorra, Germany. Switzerland, Australia, Egypt, and Italy. He's also been to Kenya, Iceland, and the Gambia. The Vatican, Zimbabwe, Hungary, and Zambia. Tanzania, Tajikistan, you name it, he's been there I think it's safe to say that Monty's travel everywhere